Ajin agen berawanji. Ajin agen nak. Kodik ngoram live yet. Ajin. This is the barrel now. That big lake. And this way we have all right. And give me one girl. Come give me a. Out at Gilwa, on the shores of Barakou, about 20 kilometres from the community of Mullen, Bessie Doonde is calling out to country, to the ancestral snake. This is where the bones of her ancestors are buried, in caves underneath the lake. And this is where the rain for the area is made. <laughs> Make my leg good. <laughs> Bessie is a Walmajari traditional owner for the Paraku Lake country. Her brother Rex Johns was a key figure in getting the country back for his people. Bessie's mother, Babala, was a desert woman from Walgali and her father, Tiger, belonged to the lake country. Although Tiger passed away 11 years ago, he's still a powerful presence in the recent history of the lake. He lived and worked through the frontier cattle station days, the displacements of the equal wages era, and the return of his country to its traditional owners. He was blind for all of his adult life. My name is Bessie Dundee. And I'm from the lake. I've been born the whole day in knees of sandy. What about when you were just a little girl? What was it like when you were a little girl there? I was playing around, yeah, with all the kids. Big camp mob there? Yeah, big camp mob there. And I had my mate with me, Elsie. We used to go together, play around. And did you like working in the house? Yeah, I never like him that house. Yeah, with Elsie. Elsie. <laughs> yeah. And you you work together there? Yeah, I never even worked together. Bessie was born in the early 1940s near the two sand hills north of Gilangara, the old station homestead. She grew up and worked on Billaluna Station, which included Baragu and the Sturt Creek floodout. The family lived in a bullock hide tent, and Tiger and Babala hid Bessie and Rex from the welfare patrol officer so they weren't taken away to the mission school at Balgo. So how did they, what did they do, take you out in the bush and hide you? Yeah. So how did you know when he was coming? They used to talk, but we used to hear them talking. You must go hide. And we used to hide from that Kadiyano. Did he ever catch you? Nothing. He never catched me. That's my big mob. All go bush? Yeah, we all go bush. Hide there, long of grass. We used to watch with that truck. God, his truck going past. Yeah, I would have been a school, good school girl. You would have me. been a good school girl? Yeah. Bessie's younger sister, Veronica, is the only one of the three siblings who went to school learning to read and write, but losing her own language in the process. Yeah, my name is Ronika Lulu Napangati, telling my story. So you went to school in Balgo, didn't you? Yeah, Old Mission. Mm-hmm. I, was school, I was taken away to Old Mission dormitory. My parents stayed in the station in Biluna. So and what was that like, to be in the dormitory away from your parents? I didn't know about culture. And I lost my language. I went with my own language and I lost it right there in old machine. But while you were growing up in the mission, while you were in the dormitory, what, what was that like? What did you do every day? I used to work with nuns, you know, cleaning. But you went to school all the time there? Yeah, schooling all the time. Never go out. And you can read and write well? Yeah, and speak well. So now, are you think that's good for you to be able to read and write? Mm. Are you happy for that? Yeah. 
even though it was hard time away from your mother and father? Yeah, it's good. And learn a lot to work on, you know, with other people. When I got older, when I had my own kids, I knew my language, got my language back. How did you get your language back? Oh, from my mother and father. You went back to them? Yeah, but my mother had, she had her own language, Kugaja and Wangajua. And my father had this Walmajere and Yaro. My mother had bought me near Lake Street. No hospital, no doctor, no nurse. I was born there, on the land. Where this river run to Lake River. And I'm speaking in Yunbu, side of the lake. These are the Milky Lakes, the freshwater lakes? This is the lake. Milky Lake. Why is it called the Milky Lake? Some sort of dream time. Must be the dog, you know, chasing Emil. That's why this water is milky. And the other side, the big lake is blue. Can you tell this lake story, Bessie, just about how this lake got created? Can you tell that story, the bingo story? You can't tell them. Yeah. Who, could, who could tell it to anybody this month? I don't know. Bingo story. Mm. Somebody can tell me. Any man can tell that one. Mm -hmm. There's a hierarchy around the public telling of the major creation stories. It's tricky ground to negotiate, especially these days, when the generation that grew up on the ground is passing away and the authority is being handed on to a younger generation. But there is a dreaming story associated with this place, Gilwa, that Bessie and Veronica can tell about Willie Wagtail, who's a gossip and a troublemaker. It's late afternoon and we're on the northern side of Baragu, sitting on a white sandy beach among the spectral skeletons of acacia trees that were drowned when the high water levels returned. The water is deep and the kids swim beside cliffs that were used as a burial site in the dry times. Just visible across the wide channel is another favourite fishing and swimming spot, Kiji, also called Two Trees because of the twin trees on a sandhill near the shoreline. They mark the place where two serpents, or water snakes, stood up in the dream time before setting off to avenge a slight to their cousin, Willie Wagtail. We are in Kilua, where that two servant was here. They were quietly swimming in Kilua. And from long way came Willy Wagtail from the place called Dangu. She came out here and found two servants and they saw Willy Wagtail came and told them the story how he didn't get gift. So that two servants they got really angry because he didn't get gift from those people. And circling around, spinning. So they swam to other lake, to Gigi. And they, they crawl up and then look in those two sandals. And they put two trees there. Wagtail was at a ceremony at Dangu and became angry when everyone but him received gifts. He flew here to Gilwa and told the two snakes about the insult to his family. The serpents became enraged. They swam across the water to Gigi and climbed up on the sandhill at Two Trees. Then they flew to Dangu, whipping up rain clouds and dust storms as they went. And that willowed tail was there on the side with them. They travelled, they came to that rock hole. And saw a lot of people dancing. And they saw cloud. Sit down quiet. That old man, do a snake, when say. Will he work there, when say? Wait here. Wait here. That the Willie Wagtail went 
and so those people told his sister to go back because she was a pregnant one. Wagtail's sister was there, pregnant, and he sent her away. Then the two snakes painted themselves with ochre and flew into the ceremony in a cloud of rain and dust and killed all the people. It was raining, 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 raining. Cloud. And cloud. cloud. Where from all this cloud coming? Mm. All the people used to say, I got a cloud coming. And that too, snake went right round. They made two big creeks, they went under, underground. Went and got those people around them. And they made separate rock hole, one for women, one for men. Got all the bones and took them back to Kiji, that, and they're still here. Don't swallow those people and brought their bone back. Yeah. Mm. That's why this place is Kiji. That's why this lake called Kiji. Gigi means bone of the people. Gigi. Bessie's brother Rex worked as a stockman for my family through the 1960s to the early 70s, when we lived on Mungledown Station, just over the border in the Northern Territory. And Mally Brown, the father of Bessie's first daughter, Shirley, was our head stockman for many years. I started coming back to this part of the country 15 years ago reconnecting with the place and the people. In late 2003, Rex's daughter Julianne asked me to coordinate a project with the women. I wasn't sure how enmeshed I wanted to become because I knew there'd be no turning back if I agreed. Then Rex died unexpectedly. I had a choice to let the old connections fade away or to build a set of relationships grounded in the past but anchored in the present. I took on the project, I got enmeshed, and now I'm in it for the long term. You guys want to hop in? Carry on here, here, not there. Hey, two girls, we're going swimming down the lake. This is put the yarrow behind This is put the yarrow behind more better so they can see. Now, Billy Pool, that's where we want to go? I love two trees. You want to go to two trees? Yeah. With everybody for else? For kids. They're yeah. gone. That's that now. I like two trees for singing so fun. That's your so country. Fun. This little girl. Yeah. Two trees. You, want? you know two twin trees there? Well, this dog, Carrie and Kim. Ah, twins. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> my brother, my twin name, Kim. We're driving across a vast floodplain, pale yellow grass from horizon to horizon, except where it's been recently burned. When the Sturt Creek comes down, a lot of this area goes underwater. The low-lying country forms chains of clay pans that hold water for months after a big wet season. These floodplains are what made the country such good cattle country back in the station days. Where are we going to, Carrie? We're going in Tutri in my lake. <laughs> my country. My country. That's where those two snakes stood up, isn't it? Mm. We are going to Tutri Lake to talk. <laughs> funny one, boy. Hi, funny one. Hey, boy. My grandfather. My grandfather. Lynn. Gilagi country. The ancestral stories are full of double entities travelling through the country and creating it together. It's there in the language, which has a dual case. We two, they two, we two talking to you two. The twins are identified with the two trees, the two snakes. This is their country. It's ordinary and wonderful at the same time. You get the sense of how narrative aligns the mythic tradition with the present and folds people into the country. Let's see what we've got. Let's call this. 
that white bring up. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It really comes mm. up strong. Okay. Because it shows, see? Yeah. It's the grey. Oh, young good cafe, got up. A little bit white. Yeah, look. It's that, it's that creamy one. That one? You gotta make one. Lulu is working on a map of the northern end of the Canning Stock Route as part of an art project to document the entire route. Most of the cattle that travelled down the stock route to Waluna were mustered from Billaluna and Lake Gregory. The idea for the maps was born several years ago out of a conversation I had with Bessie's daughter Shirley. I was talking to her about the archaeological and environmental significance of the lake country. Geomorphologist Jim Bowler, who's best known for his work around the Willandra Lakes and his discovery of the Lake Mungo burial sites, had been studying the Paragu Lake system for 25 years. We invited him to come back and make a trip with the elders to some of the significant sites to look at how the Aboriginal and the scientific knowledge intersected. We needed a template for the information and that's how the idea of a painted canvas map came about big and robust enough to be worked on out on the ground. Since then, we've made two more maps, one of Sturt Creek and one of the Flood Delta. The dreaming stories and the family connections still follow the flow of the water. Story, family, country, it's all part of the same thing. Yeah, when I do this map, and um, this map made me happy, you know. When you do this map, it's like going to country? Yeah, going to country. Hmm. But I feel proud, you know, of this map now. That's where I'm helping Kim for painting. I'm learning here too, colour of the country. So she did the map and she went and showed to us. And we got happy, all of us, whole community. And she has to put the colours now, and we ask her what colours we want to put on, you know. On our land, we call the name, Bessie, my sister, call the names and water lakes, where they were working around and doing mastering. I'm doing this one. My own people, country, my father and grandmother. Like the root of the running dogs that created it, the Sturt Creek Channel braids and divides and joins again, and so do the narratives that make up the story of Baragu. Alongside the dreaming stories run the traces of deep time, etched into the landscape by water. Ancient shorelines that reveal a paleo lake 20 times the size of the present day, a climate of monster monsoons and millennial droughts. Jim Bowler has spent the past 25 years investigating what Baragu reveals about the ancient climate and early human occupation of northern Australia. Previously, there were huge rivers uh, draining out towards the Western Australian coastline. But those rivers have long since ceased to flow and their ancestral rivers, now much diminished in discharge, tend to uh, wander off into end up in strange places. One of them is uh, represented by the final termination of Sturt Creek, which now uh, runs into this quite large depression formed in the Earth's crust, and there it forms now this amazing system of freshwater lakes. I guess our, our search begins now from the power of uh, aerial photography and our satellite imagery. Uh, looking down on the Earth from space, we can see signs that we really can see on the ground. You can see signs of, of huge ancient shorelines. If the water was there, there would have been aquatic plants and, uh, and freshwater shells, ancient fish remains. So we go looking for those and then when we find, in, in this particular case, uh, evidence in the, from the termite mounds way out in the desert that the, the termites are bringing up from two or three metres below fragments of shell. 
and these are fragments of fresh water shells. So we don't even have to dig. The termites are doing the excavating for us. We can eventually end up dating some of those shells. Uh, we then drill a hole or excavate to make sure that the shell bed is really there. Uh, so it's that combination starting from the broad regional evaluation from photography down to the, looking at the, at the actual truth on the ground itself. So the findings that you made last year, could you just describe what they were and what their significance actually are? Well, there are two, two aspects of that study. One is building up the history of climatic change. The present environment is much drier. The lakes have contracted, but where the creeks drain into the lake, the creek channels have excavated material on the banks, and in those cuttings on the banks, we can find old levels of soil and lake sediments within which now we find evidence of artefacts, stone tools, stone flakes that were uh, manufactured by the people who lived very close to the lake to the water's edge. Now we've now obtained some optically stimulated luminescence dating, uh, demonstrate that the age of those artefacts is at least 20 to 25,000 years, which means that we now have a new picture of ancient people occupying those lake shores built up now from these tiny flakes that most people would pass over without giving them a second thought. It's like, in some sense, Kim, peeling back layers of time. And as we do that, the information from each layer adds a new layer of value. And now with discoveries of ancient human occupation in that landscape, it's adding a whole new dimension of land to that country that the traditional people now must manage. And it's providing them with a whole new resource, which they, as you know, very much appreciate. There was a period during the heyday of the pastoral era when the old people went quiet and stopped telling the younger people about their country. The geography of the landscape itself seems to influence how it's remembered. The lake boundaries ebb and flow. It dried out a number of times last century. So people can tell you where the soap waters were in places that are now underwater. Where the creek spreads out into the floodplain before it reaches the lake, the knowledge is also diffused. There's no longer the detailed association of individuals with particular locations. Sturt Creek, on the other hand, is a very coherent track, and the knowledge of country is precise and detailed, despite the fact that most of its people were moved off in the late 60s when equal wages came in. Sturt Creek still runs as a cattle station, and most of the traditional owners now live in Mullen and Billaluna. Last year, we took a lot of them back to their country and mapped the sites along the river. Milner. Boxer. That me, Milner. My father been giving me a whole story. When that river goes down, well, that's a dreaming for this old man came down. Fish, you know. Mm. My father, Manly, he saw that that was a dreaming for boxer. That's the fish dreaming that um, crossing. You know, we caught a baramandi fish, and he saw this not a fish, must be a baby, you know. Mm. That was <laughs> me. Joe. Yeah, yeah. That is dreaming. Mm. When when they like a people when they. See something like a bird or anything like that, that's the dreaming for them. Boxer Milner was a stockman and is now an important painter whose work is exhibited nationally and internationally. He paints his traditional country, Pokaji, the central Sturt Creek area near the old crossing where he was born. Boxer's niece, Shirley Yamari, also grew up at Sturt Creek Station and she interprets for him. When did you start working there? Were you really young fellow? Young boy. Young boy. And your family was there? Oh, big my family. I've been born right along that creek, long as I'm crossing. I've been digging my river there and showing that place. Old man said uh, when he was a little boy, when he was young, he used to work in Sturt Creek. 
and with his families and with his brothers, with his dad, and they all worked at um, Stockholm too. Family, you know. From there, they been put me in Takman Puranim Kiam now. Young, and they learned how to ride a horse. And they put him in the job to run the station. And he had all the young fellas and all the courteous white men. He was the boss. He was only young and he was young too. So he was working as a stockman and head stockman around those Kimberley places for a long time. Long time, one place. When did you stop working? as a stockman and start to paint. Did that ever That's all no. That is yeah yeah. Not anyway. Well when he started painting, he only know the Sturt Creek River, that's all. Because he was living there. And he remember what he done in the old days where that river he knows it. That's why he wanted to paint. And help him remember for the new generation, for all the Families, you know, to see what what he drawing, you know, in the picture. He also said that that's all he can paint. And yeah, he, that's that all he can paint on his dead creek. When you draw another people's painting, you might get jealous, jealous and something might do something like you like a witchcraft or anything like that, you know. Yeah. The big story for Sturt Creek is a massacre that occurred there, probably sometime in the 1920s. Box's brother Clancy witnessed the massacre as a child, but survived. And Boxer is one of the few people left who still knows the stories from that time. Mother and people ran the big licking. Mother and run, 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 they mustered him up from all around the country. from Big Lake, from Lake. These are four white men came from Melbourne with the horses down to Western Australia. They came from Melbourne, you know, down. And they went to the lake and they saw these old people sitting down, hunting or anything they're doing, you know. They must remember people like a cattle. They were shouting yeah. at them, they were whipping them and you know, hitting them. Yeah. And they took them up to that woody lake. They tied their hands and feet to the tree and they shot them. Women and children, they burnt them separately. Burnt them alive in that place, really like. My brother went to Queensland at Bulukai, didn't well, that? Fox's brother, Clancy, well, he was hiding in underneath the Bullock, that one, and that Bullock was really smelly, and he hid himself underneath. Oh, those white men might see him hmm. when he was young, you know. When he saw the thing was happening, shooting and everything, you know, whipping. And when that shooting and everything was finished, he got out and he was walking. And my father Fox's father found him now. Mm. He could probably he, smell yeah. him from a long way off. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> he, he carried him all the way, you know, but mm. away from that place now. I've heard a lot of stories about the killing times at Sturt Creek, but that's a whole new version that I've never heard before. The four horsemen coming up from Melbourne, like the four riders of the apocalypse. When we took Boxer back to Sturt Creek last year, he called the names of the men like a line from an epic poem. Digron, Canavan, Jack Barry, Clary Wilkinson, Wayson Byers. Sometimes there were four men, sometimes five, but this is the first time anyone has said they came from Melbourne. Trying to unpick what really happened would be a historian's nightmare. There's no doubt a massacre occurred. The best known story is of people being shot near the old homestead and their bodies thrown down a well and burned with kerosene. 
Box's father escaped by crossing the creek. Legend has it by walking under the water. He will walk through the mud inside. And why did the old man go on? He will walk mud, but he is dead now. Now he will be tell the old man. Oh, this story was told by Box's father, our grandfather, before he died. He saw what was happening there at Sturt Creek, shooting or burning them or, you know. And my grandfather, his father, ran away from that place now, through that creek, under the water and walking under the water. Yeah. He didn't come out from the water, he was just walking through. Yeah, I don't know how. He went over and they saw that old man there on the other side walking. What is that? Box's father. The white people saw him? Yeah. yeah. So he got away and he walked down all along all the river? All along the river. Oh, and he said, come on, that's the other side. side. And then he walked along walked the river. Along the river. Right yeah. the and they would see him. Only one man to run away from yeah, the right. camp. Nobody been come out, only Maybe. one. Some of the events have the ring of authenticity, like the boy hiding in the stinking carcass of a bullock. And then you get the conflation of myth and fact, the man walking under the water to escape and singing the horses of his pursuers to make them weak. Oh, there now. Yeah, Those white men say, oh, yeah, there he is, walking across. Chase him behind. Granny been singing away all the way, that lad. But nothing. And he was running Can and I... singing that song to make that horse. He was teasing them. Yeah, I'm here. So he tricked them. Yeah. You feel the power of the narrative tradition at work, the constructing of an epic that draws on myth and fact and collective memory. I don't believe the embellishments undermine the reality. The trickery and interventions of ancestral beings gives people a sense of pride. It's how they take back some power for themselves out of the disaster of those times. I'm still trying to get someone to tell the two dogs' creation story. I know Boxer has the authority, but he's frail and tired. There are two main bloodlines connected to the lake. Trying to establish who can tell the story is like putting your foot into the lake and feeling the undertow of family politics. Dangerous terrain for a white person, a gadia. In a published fragment of Box's version, he describes himself and his brother as two stones put down by the two dingoes just before they go into the ground for the last time. It's the doubling again. Stones, dingoes, brothers. The two snakes leave the permanent trace of their presence as two trees standing on the dune near Gigi. Twin hills everywhere mark the travels of the Wadi Kujara, the dreaming of the two men who came from the southeast. The two dingoes came from the east chasing two emus. This is a desert story. To be alone is to be without the support and protection of family. To be alone means you will probably die. You've been here, I've been here, but you know, every time somebody's telling me somewhere when I first came back, I was very uneasy about how I fitted. The cross-cultural ground is pretty difficult to negotiate. There are so many blunders you inadvertently make. People are very generous about forgiving you for them. You get a certain amount of leeway. And then there's a point where you're supposed to know, and they tick you off pretty severely. But in the past few years, they've become very important relationships in my life. I think one time I took you. I think one time you did, and I think it was pretty much like this. They're all dead. Not dead. Right there now. Yeah. Dead. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
We're on the western side of Baragu at Yunbu, which used to be a favourite campsite in the days before the country was a cattle station. There's a string of lakes on this side that people call the Milky Lakes, shallow and fresh in comparison to the Big Lake, which gets salty as it recedes. Yunbu has a wide white sandy beach and dense tea tree shade. It's a haven for ducks and pelicans and a good place for fishing and finding mussels. It's not difficult here to step back into another time. My grandfather, Tiger, he used to go out, show us and tell us. When we used to went for a drive to the lake, he used to tell us, this place, Yunbo, this place, Pulbai, or that place, Kilwa. And long time when we were kids, we just knew only one lake, you know. But as I was growing up, we were starting to understand that this lake didn't have one name. They had all different names. Tiger, he was very wise, and even though he was blind, he knew everything. He was wise in, in his ways, you know. So even though he was blind, he still knew all the places and yeah. the names? he knew all the different places. The main transfer of knowledge is still through storytelling. The elders pass the knowledge on. When they die, they remain in the collective memory of their descendants for about three generations, after which they take their place within the cosmology of the ancestors. By the time Tiger's great-grandchildren are elders, he will have become part of the Waljuri, the dreaming, and taken on the attributes of the mythical beings with which his life was associated. His totem was snake at Nyanajara, they call him C-25. That's his country, where he was born, you know. And that was his dreaming there too. May Stundi is Bessie Dunde's daughter, and she's one of the people who's taken on the responsibility of keeping the stories alive. Things are recorded and written down now, and people recognise the importance of that. But the spoken story is still where the real power rests. May is a trained linguist, and she's one of the key links between the traditional ways of storytelling and the contemporary means of recording stories for the future. My name is May Stundi Nangala. My nickname is Nangalago. I come from Malan, and my totem animal is snake. My totem place is Grurungo. But I was born in Sturt Creek Station, on the river. I was born in hospital. When were you born? 1966. So from Sturt Creek, what happened? Where did you go from Sturt Creek? We went back to Belluna. That you... was where we stayed. Were you just a little baby then? Yeah. We used to stay in station long time. And our family, they used to work hard around the station. My mother used to do cleaning, washing. She was a hard-working woman. She used to keep us safe. Yeah, my father used to work on the station a little while, you know, like helping. He went to school in Valgo. Dormitory again? Yeah, it was hard. Always working with, for nuns to have discipline. You were really good at school, weren't you? You learned yeah. to read and write really well. Yeah. It was really strict. So you finished your primary school, didn't you? Yeah. And while that was happening, where were your mum and dad? My uncle got this place, Balan. And all the family, we moved in. And this lake was dry, no water. And all people went to... Kill what they rub mud on their self and they sang song when rain came till the lake. Gilwa was a special place too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a burial place for all people in this lake area. They used to get buried in that Gilwa. 
One of the frequently told stories of Tiger is how he was blinded as a young man. Someone dropped a lighted cigarette in a storeroom near some dynamite, which exploded, injuring another man badly. Tiger went to his rescue and was blinded in a subsequent explosion. His daughter Lulu takes up the story. And you know what made him take all that pain? Mud, quick mud, putting on him all the way. What did he do after that, after he got blinded? He was still working. What sort of work did he do? Well, he did that big airstrip and leg stretch by his hand, cleaning for aeroplane to land. So they made that airstrip by hand, that way? Yeah, blind one. Wow. When he used to build his own house and cut wood, use axe, he used to touch wood where he's cutting it. They always hold my mother. Yeah. So she'd walk around and he'd have his hand on her shoulder? Yeah. <laughs> when we were small, he used to feel our face, what sort of face we got. Even um, all my cousins too, you know. He knows them by their voices. So we have, when we have our community meetings, he would come first, you know. And he would just sit down and say things. And he would be the first one to mention, like, this is wrong, this is right. In 1968, when the Equal Wages Bill was passed, a lot of Aboriginal people were forced off the stations. Many of the Lake people had already moved to Balgo Mission because their children had been put into the dormitory system there. During the upheavals of that time, Tiger's son Rex Johns and his family also went to Balgo. Rex helped to run the Balgo cattle enterprise and came back for the musters on my family's cattle station. Julianne and Rebecca Johns, Rex's daughters, talk about how their father won the Lake Country back. Man, he would talk to his father, old Tiger Red. He would ask him if he would like to go back to his country here, you know. I mean, initially it was bought for you, like as a cattle station, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was mm. bought cattle station. And who, who bought it? Whitlam government came, the Labour government, mm -hmm. like they had a meeting here and he took them down the lake and he was telling them stories about how difficult it was to fighting for, to get the Luan and Mullen station, you know. So your grandfather Tiger, Wiri, was he still alive when your father got this country back? Yeah, he was still alive. And how did he feel about that? He felt like proud that he got the land and like for himself to instead of running to other people, you know, staying in their land, you know. He came back and settled in properly. And, well, he was here till 1997 he passed away. Really? Wow, yeah. I didn't realise he was still alive for so long. So he was quite an old man when he died then. Yeah, he was only 106 years old. 106? Mm, 106 years old. There's a refrain that runs through the stories of the generations now in their 30s and 40s of coming back to their country and learning the places and the stories, regaining a sense of pride and belonging. Jamie Brown is Bessie's grandson. His grandfather, Mally Brown, was the head stockman on Mungal Downs during my family's era. Jamie first came to Mullen as a young boy with his mother to visit Bessie. I'm 30 now. Yeah, so that was probably about 10 or something. And then, yeah, just came back to Mullen, to the strange place, but it was my home country. Did you know when you came back with Shirley that it was your country? Yeah, because my grandmother came to Alice Springs and seen me when I was a baby. And um, I was just told about a big lake out in the desert. There's this place now, Lake Gregory. Do you actively try and pick up the knowledge of the place? Yeah, I sometimes go out with this sort of thing now. Just sit down and listen to stories on the side. So how do you feel, how much knowledge do you feel you've got? Do you think you've got a lot or that there's nah, still... not much. Yeah, not a lot, but I'm still learning the language as well. thought I really didn't pick it up yet properly. But I understand when people talk, but I just sort of can't speak it properly. Yeah. And how do you see yourself learning more? Who, who are the people that you 
can learn from? Uh, from Bessie, my grandmother. I sit down with Dunde all the time. I'll build Dunde, my grandfather. Every time I do go away for a year or half a year or something, and when I do come back here, I feel very, like spiritually, I feel like I feel strong again. Yeah, sort of just makes me feel more strong. Yeah, I go away and all I think about is coming back to Lake. Yeah, just worry about this country and the people, all my people here, my family. Yeah. Stanley Fernandez belongs to the generation that grew up at Mullen. He's one of Veronica Lulu's many grandchildren and one of the few who went away to school and finished high school before coming back to his country. I grew up here and I've learnt plenty of um, old stories and the language as well. So you speak the language, okay? Yeah. And um, those two trees, those stories there, Fugiji, the story about the two dingoes and the emu. The elders been teaching a lot of stories while we were sitting around the campfire, but the elders are slowly fading away. But we want to keep that culture strong. Something I notice at Mullen, there's not many old men left in the community. Does that have an effect on the younger men? It just affects their confidence and it's very hard for the culture to be kept very strong amongst the men. So it's that's why um, there's not much to do for the land side, for learning the culture and properly the strong way how they used to live around here, all the old men. And that's the other side of the respect part that needs to be learned too. Bessie's husband, Bill Doonday, is back in Mullen. Bill's own story has the elements of a Greek tragedy, epic in scale and harrowing in detail, and not for telling here. It's life experience that gives the gravitas, the authority to tell the story of how the two dogs created the Paraku Lakes. Finally, the dogs are out and running. Hello, my name Bill Dundai. Dogen. I'm talking. I tell a story. I'm telling story. Dog story. Dog story. Yeah, a lot of big dogs. They was listening to Emil. They was making a drum sound. He thought they, they was close up, but they was long way in Wajangari. And they got up and they went and they travelled to Laman Banda. From there, I was listening from that place. Hey. Yeah, they leave my brother there. Yeah, they leave my brother there. Those two dogs, they leave him right there. Two of them run. They haven't run, those two dogs, running all the way, listening to Mangai. They were saying, hey, Kagar, that sound. And they ran, they saw nothing. Where did he was standing? And rabbit flat on that rock hole. They slept there in that rock hole. They got up. They're running towards west. Then they keep going, running, looking and hearing the sound. Imeo. In one day they traveled. They went cut out of west. They thought it was close up. Maybe Emil was breathing and I was heard that sound. 
breathing so Oh, they they are standing up. They snacked up on them. Then they east, west, They were running side by side, them to email. So third Greek they went. Where did that house area? But long time, dream time. I think people need to wake up and start working together again, like they used to in the old days. And this community can run better. I reckon not one man, but at least one voice can be heard in the distance for all the people to come and gather around, start talking about what can be done to um, make this happen. And what about for you here? I just want to try and be an elder for all these, some of the oldest grandchild for everybody, and just be around for all my brothers and sisters here. Are you happy here? Yeah, I'm happy. You think you'll stay on? Yeah, I'll stay on. They was exhausted, tired, and weak, couldn't walk anymore, full, finished, they go sleep. They went down to, to that place. They went into the ground. That man went to bleed, front. Yeah. He would stop. They made a big dust. That old lady. They still there, them two dogs. In Bangubadi. They still there today. Yeah.